0: The Guardian. You're listening to the Guardian Short Story Podcast, featuring great authors reading and discussing their favourite short story. In this edition, we feature Colm Toibin, who was chosen to read Eugene McCabe's "Music at Anna Hulian." She put a bike in the shed and filled a basket of turf. Curtains still pulled across Teddy's window. Some morning the gable'd fall and he'd wake sudden. Of course, you had to pretend to Liam Anahullion was very special. See the depth of them walls. Look at that door. They don't use timber like that now. Feel the staircase solid, made to last. Bit of a dose, the way he went on. Sure, what was it? Only a mud-and-stone lofted cottage, half thatched, half-slated, with a leaning chimney and a cracked gable. Finest view in Ireland... Liam said a hundred times a year. High to the north by Carn Rock, it was fine in spring and summer, very fine. But all you ever saw from this door in winter was the hammered out barrels on the hay shed, the rutted lane, and the bottom of rushes so high you'd be hard put at times to find the five cows. Liam went on about the orchard at the front, put down by their grandfather Matt Grew. A few scabby trees in the ground, hooked useless by sows. A half acre of midden, but you couldn't say that to his face. One night, Teddy said, Carried away, old cod, it's because he owns it. Shh, Annie said, pointing upstairs. A rotten stable, it'll fall before we're much older. We grew up here, Teddy. Sign on it, we'd all die here. They'll plant it with trees when we're gone. It's home. Aye. Teddy talked like that when he came in late. He drank too much. His fingers were tarry black from fags, the eyes burned out of his head. Even so you could look into his eyes. You could have a laugh with Teddy. She called up the stairs as she closed the kitchen door. Teddy, it's half eleven. Right. He gave a brattle of a cough and then five minutes later shouted down, Is there a shirt? Where it's always. It's not. Look again. She listened. Get it? In the low drawer. It was under a sheet. But but you've got it. I got it. Thanks very much, Annie said to herself. She hooked a griddle over the gloved sods to warm a few wheaten scones. She could maybe mention it quiet, like give it time to sink. He, he might rise to it after a while, maybe. Or again, he might know what she was up to and say nothing. He was always low over winter. Got it tight to pay leave the to three quid a week for board and keep. In the summer, he had cash to spare. On hire through the country, with the 1946 petrol Ferguson, cutting meadows, moulding spuds, buck raking, drawing corn shigs to the thrasher. Sometimes he was gone a week. Knows all the bad women in the country, Lean once said. Got a lot to answer for that bucko. Teddy came down and sat at the north window under an empty birdcage, his elbows on the oilcloth. Tall stooped frame. He ate very little, very slowly. Put her in mind often of some great gray bird, a bite, look out the window, another bite. You were up at Riley's We'd no butter. Who was there? George McAloon. We blind George he's not that blind. Teddy lit a cigarette and looked out. He could see Liam stepping from ridge to ridge in the sloping haggard. the field. Had earthy welts running angleways, like the ribs in a man's chest. Hadn't felt the plough since the famine or before. Anyone else? Only Petey Mulligan, the shop boy. He kept saying Jesus every minute, to see poor George nod and bless himself, and then he winked at me, much as to say mad frigger, but we're wise. Too old-fashioned by half. Teddy was quiet for a minute and then said, Religion puts people mad. No religion puts them madder. He thought about this. He hadn't confessed for nearly 40 years, lay in bed of a Sunday with rubbishy papers Liam wouldn't use to light fires. Sometimes they had bitter arguments about religion and the clergy. Liam and Annie never missed Mass. It's a big question, Teddy said. Annie filled a tin basin from the kettle... I saw a piano at Foster's. Hi In the long shed at the back of the garden, what's it doing there? They've put a lot of stuff out. What kind? Horse tether, cartwheels, pig troughs, beehives, old churns, a grass harrow, stuff like that. Useless, less or more, over from the auction must be. Odd place to leave a piano. The very thing I thought. After a moment she said, It looks very good. Shiny, with two brass candlesticks, like the one in the photo. Old, I'd say. Must be. The guts of fifty years. Maybe fifty along with that. Teddy went to the door and looked out. And he said to his back, "Pity to see a thing like that going to rack and loss. If it's worth money, Teddy said, some flyboy go on the road, it'll cob it. Maybe it's got no insides, or it's rusted, or seized up some way. Must be something wrong with it, or it would have gone in the auction. If It come out of Foster's; it's good, and it could come at handy money, Teddy." looked around at her. Who'd want it? Annie shrugged. You want it, Annie? A nice thing, a piano. Everyone wants things. Teddy looked through stark apple trees towards the wet, rushy bottom and the swollen river. Rain again today. Who'd play it? A body can pick out tunes with one finger, the odd visitor maybe, and you could put flowers on top of it like candles at special times. Teddy was picking at his teeth with a tarry thumb. When one of us dies, Annie. Christmas, Easter, times like that. He went on picking his teeth with a tarry thumb. It's a bit daft, Annie, is it? There was a silence and Teddy looked round. When he saw her face, he said, Don't go by me, but it's a dud, I'd swear. (sighs) I'd say you're right. He took his cap from the top of the wireless. I'll see if there's letters. Tell Leem there's Tay. Annie saw him cross the yard, a scarecrow of a man, arms hung below his knees. Teddy wouldn't bother anyway. Scotch collie bitch circled around him, yapping and belly-crawling. Guinea-hens flapped to the roof of a piggery. She could see Liam blinding potholes in the rutted lane. Even in winter, Scotch grass clung to the middle ridge. Teddy stopped for a word. Hadn't much to say to each other, that pair. More like cold neighbours and brothers. Teddy went on down the road. Few years back, Liam had put the post box on an ash tree near the gate to keep Elliot, the postman, away from about the place. What's wrong with him? Teddy had asked. Bad old article, Liam said. What way? Handles women or tries to in nearly every house he goes to. Anyway, he's black Protestant. Teddy let on he didn't understand. Handles women? What women? Liam got redder. He'll not put a foot about this place, and he thought about Joe Elliot, a rumpledy wee fellow with a bait in face, doggy eyes and a squeaky voice. No woman in her right mind could let him next or near her without a fit of the giggles. But there was no arguing with Liam. He was proud and very private. Four or five signs about the farm forbade this and that. A land poisoned sign had been kept up. There hadn't been sheep about Anna Hullion for twenty years. When stray hounds crossed the farm, Liam fired at them. Every year in the Anglo-Celt, he put a notice prohibiting anyone from shooting or hunting. Jesus, Teddy said, 30 wet, sour acres and maybe a dozen starved snipe, who's he stopping? Who'd want to hunt or shoot about here? There's nothing, only us. Near the bridge, there was a notice, fishing strictly forbidden. The river was ten feet wide, the notice nailed to an alder in a scrub of stunted blackthorn that grew three yards out from the river bank. When the water was low, barbed wire under the bridge trapped the odd carcass of dog and badger. Sometimes you could see pram wheels, bicycle frames, tins and bottles. Liam once hooked a pike on a nightline. She cooked it in milk. Tasted strong, oily. Teddy wouldn't touch it. Ida's leaf ate six scald crows. Them owl river pike ate rats and all kinds of rubbish. Annie found it hard to stomach her portion. She fed the leftovers to the cat. Teddy swore later he saw the cat puke. Lean was dire for days. She heard him crossing the yard now and began pouring his tea. He blessed himself as he came across the floor, pulling off the cap. Half eleven, I'd say. Nearer twelve, Annie said. Liam nodded and sucked his tea. You could say midday. Next or near, you could say that. Liam shook his head. Every day or so they had this exchange about Teddy. I'm never done trying to tell him, Annie said. I get sick hearing myself. It's a pity of any man he couldn't be told often enough or strong enough. True for you, Annie said, and thought how neither of them ever dared a word, let alone hint. Teddy was his own man. Paid steady for his room, helped about the yard or farm when he felt like it. Liam sucked his teeth. They were big and a bad fit. Put you in mind of a horse, scobing into a sour apple. He was squatter than Teddy's sturdier, slate-coloured eyes and tight reddish skin. He smiled seldom, and no one had ever heard him laugh. Sometimes Annie heard him laugh alone about the yard and fields. Same as the Uncle Eddie Liam said, lazy and pagan, and you know how he ended in a bog hole, drunk, drowned. Crab it this morning. Better leave it till evening. Teddy said, you remarked to Piani at Foster's. Oh, God, Annie thought and said, I saw it from the road. Liam ate another scone before he said, scrap. I'd say, the whole place was red out of the sale. Piani must have been lying about in a pig house or some of them all rotten lofts. That's what Teddy said, a dud. He's right about that, anyway. And that's that, Annie thought. Soon they'd all be pensioned. Maybe then she could buy the odd thing. It would put up to her to run the house on the milk check. It could be a very small one in winter. She made up by crocheting. Anything but approach Liam. All afternoon, she thought of the piano. In the end, she found herself crying as she needed bread. Yeah, God, she thought I'm going astray in the head and I'll scrap piano and not a Body in the house, fix a plane. Here am I, all snivels over the head of it. She blew her nose and put it out of her mind. It was dark when Teddy got back. He smelled of whiskey and fags, and his eyes looked bright. Liam didn't look up from the Anglo Celt. Your dinner's all dried up, and he said. No odds, Teddy said. Liam switched on the wireless for the news. They all listened. When it was over, Teddy said, I saw your piano. I made a deal for it. Ah, you're cutting, Teddy. It's out of tune. Ah, that's easy fixed woodworm in the back. You can cure that too. There's a pedal off. What odds? From the way Liam held the paper, she could tell he was cut. God's sake, couldn't he let on for once in his life, his way of showing he kept the deeds? Teddy winked. Who sold it? Liam asked. Right, the auctioneer was forgot at the sale, hid under a heap of bags in the coach house. Cute boy, right. He's all that. How much? Two notes. He'd give it away. You paid him. He's paid. That's all right, Liam said and went out. They heard him rattling buckets in the boiler house. Pass no remarks, Teddy said. If you want a thing, get it. What's he bought here all his years but two ton weight of the Anglo Celt, one second hand bird cage that no bird ever sang in, and a dose of holy pictures? Horrid good of you, Teddy, Annie said. Ah, no, it was, Annie said. If you'd waited to chat over with Liam, you'd be that sick hearing about it, you'd as leave have it. Liam's a cautious man. Next day, Teddy took the tractor out and went off about three o'clock. Annie lit a fire in the parlour. It led off the kitchen at the end of the staircase. It was a long, narrow room smelling of turpentine, damp, and coats of polish on the parquetry liner. The white painted board's ceiling and waste cutting was yellow and spotty. Like the kitchen, it had two windows at either end, a black horsehair chaise lounge in one, Small table with a red chenille cover and pot plant in the other. Two stiff armchairs faced the painted slate fireplace. On the mantelpiece there was a clock stopped since 1929, a china dog, and a cracked infant of Prague. And he looked at the photograph over the shelf Teddy with a hoop, lean wearing a cap and button breeches. Her mother had on a rucked blouse long skirt with pin tucks at the bottom high boots and gloves and that was her with a blind doll on her mother's knee their father stood behind looking sideways at the bottom of the photograph Macaniff photographer Dublin Road Monaghan 1914 some fair day long ago no memory of it now the rough-faced man and the soft young woman buried. She was now 20 years older than her mother was then. And she thought now her mother, in her last sickness, had kept raving, the children, the children, where are my children? She remembered saying, this is me, Annie, one of your children. Her mother had looked at her steady for a minute, then shook her head. Course she was old, dying of old age. It was dark when they sat down to tea and Liam said long as he's not drunk and lying in some ditch under the piano there'll be a square snippet for the celt. He'll be all right, Annie said. No noise for an hour but wind in the chimney the hiss of thorn logs through turf and the crackle of Liam's paper. She began to worry, supposing he did cross a ditch get buried or worse over the head of it. Then she heard the tractor and went to the door. A single light was pulsing on the bonnet of the old Ferguson as it came into the yard. Teddy reversed to the front door and let the book rake gently to the ground. He untied the ropes and put the tractor away. And he tested the keyboard in the dark, windy yard. There was an odd note, dumb. Guinea hens cackled and the collie bitch barked. Liam was watching from the door. What's wrong with them? Damp? Annie said. Nothing a good fire won't mend. It was heavy. The caster seized or rusted. Like a coffin full of rocks, Liam said. Time enough, Teddy said. No hurry. They had a lot of bother getting it into the kitchen. Liam wouldn't let any help. Stand back, woman. We're well fit. It seemed very big in the kitchen. Teddy sat down and lit a cigarette. Annie took down the tilly lamp and went round the piano. Made from that thin shaved timber, Damp had unstuck some of it. That could be fixed. The keys had gone yellow, but the candlesticks were very nice and the music stand was carved. God, it was lovely. She lifted the top lid and looked down into the frame. She could see something, a newspaper. She pulled it out, faded and flittered by mice. Liam came over. That's an old one, Teddy said from the hearth. 7th of November, 1936, Liam read. The weight of 40 years, Annie said. From where he was sitting, Teddy could read an ad. What lies ahead for you? Why not make the future certain? What's in it? Liam had put on his glasses. A cabin man hung himself in an outhouse. Aye? Last thing he said to his wife was, Will I go to Matt Smith's or get the spade shafted? And the wife said, Damn the hair, I care, but the children have wet feet. Don't come back without boots. Liam looked up. Then he hung himself. God help her, Annie he said. Women have a hard life. "'God help him,' Liam said. Savor lave God out of it,' Teddy said. "'I must have bought that paper and read that maybe ten times "'and it's all gone. Forgot. "'Do you mind it, Annie?' "'No. You, Ted?' "'It's like a lot of things you read. Couldn't mind them all.' Liam put the paper aside. "'Better get this thing out of the way.' "'He went to the parlour door, looked at it, and looked at the piano.' The last two steps of the staircase jutted across the parlour door. It was made from two heavy planks, each step dowelled into place. The whole frame was clamped to the wall with four iron arms. None of your fibby boxed-in jobs, Liam often said. That's solid, made to last. He went to the dresser, got a ruler, measured, folded the ruler and said, Won't fit. It'll be got in some way, Annie said. How? Let's try and we'll know. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Damn thing's too big. Teddy took the rule and measured. We might jiggle at him, he said. It's worth a try. Won't fit, Liam said. Annie made tea and watched for an hour, measuring, lifting, forcing, levering, straining. Liam getting angrier and redder. For Christ's sake, don't pull again me. Where are you going now, up the frigging stairs? What in the name of Jesus are you at now? Finally, he shouted, have you no wit at all? The bloody thing's too big, the door's too small, the staircase is in the way, it won't fit. Unless you rip down them stairs. And he tried not to listen. Teddy kept his voice low, but he was vexed and lit one fag off the other. Maybe we could strip her down, he said, and lift in the insides, build her up again in the room. Maybe we could toss the sidewall of the house, Liam said, and drag her through. That's the only way. They said nothing for a while, and then Annie said, I suppose it'll have to go out again. Where else? Liam said. They got it out the door again and half-lifted, half-dragged it to the turf shed. Two casters broke off. The thrumming and jumble of notes set the guinea hens clucking and flapping in the apple trees. Liam went to bed early. Teddy sat at the hearth with Annie and drank more tea. It's only a couple of quid, Annie. No odds, she said. He looked at her. He felt a bit of an idiot. Maybe she did too. What odds what people say? I don't give tuppence what people say. Never wanted a thing so bad. Don't know why and to have it in the house. If you're that strong for a piano, we'll get one. The same brass candlesticks. One that fits. No. Teddy looked at her again. If she'd come out straight and say what was in her head, women never did. They never knew rightly what was in their heads. Two quid is nothing, Annie. I told you, it's not the money. Teddy sat a while at the fire. I'll go up. He paused halfway up the stairs. It's only scrap, Annie. It means nothing. I know. Annie dreamed that night that Liam had hung himself in the turf shed. Teddy cut him down and they laid him out in the parlour. She looked at the awful face on the piano and the face of the little boy in the photograph and knelt. She felt her heart was breaking. She wanted to pray but all she could do was cry. What are you crying for Annie? Teddy was standing in the parlour door. Everything. All of us. I wish to God we were never born. When she woke up, it was dark. She lit a candle and prayed for a while. It was almost light again when she fell asleep. That morning she covered the piano, plastic fertiliser bags. The guinea hens roosted on it all winter. Near dark one evening in February, she saw a sick rat squeeze in where the pedal had broken off. By April, varnish was peeling off the side. One wet day in July, Teddy unscrewed the brass candlesticks. On and off she dreamed about it, strange dreams that made her unhappy. It was winter again, and one evening she said, I'm sick to death looking at that thing in the turf shed. For God's sake, get shot of it. She watched Teddy smash it with an axe. In ten minutes, the rusted steel frame lay in the hen mess of the yard, like the carcass of a skinned animal. Teddy slipped the buckrake under it and drew it out of the yard. From under the empty birdcage, Liam watched to the kitchen window. No with that man, he said, always bought foolish. His Uncle Eddie was identical. Colm Toybean reading Eugene McCabe's Music at Anna Julian. Colm spoke to Lisa Allardyce of Guardian Review about his choice. Eugene McCabe is 80 this year. He spent most of his life living in a house very close within sight of the border. ...between County Monaghan and County Fermanagh... ...in other words, between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And in a way, his work has been informed by that breach in the landscape... ...and also by the fact that a lot of hidden lives were lived... ...in that place where that landscape sort of folded. It's a landscape of drumlands, small streams, small farms... ...and in a way, hidden lives... He, I suppose, came to um, prominence first in Ireland with an extraordinary play he wrote in the 1960s called King of the Castle, which deals with life on one of those farms, which is unflinching in its gaze, which I think is one of the things you could say about him as a writer.
1: He does work Um, on a farm, doesn't he? um,
0: Oh, he's a farmer. Eugene's a farmer. And so he knows all, he knows the seasons, he knows the animals, but he also knows his neighbours. And... um, so he has an exact world to describe which comes out of work, you know so he wrote that play, King of the Castle and um, he's also he's had periods of long silence and uh, there's an extraordinary book produced in 1992 which is called um, Death and Nightingales I mean, it's it's in print it's, um, it's published by Vintage and in Ireland it's considered a sort of absolute masterpiece everyone who's read it has has the same effect on them that about halfway through, you suddenly realise the enormity of what's going on in the book, having been sort of almost fooled into thinking it was about something else. And it is a very, very frightening book. It's absolutely engrossing. And I think it's true to say about him that almost every time he's touched the page with a pen, he's been ready and he's produced more or less only masterpieces.
1: The one you've chosen, and I'm going to mispronounce it, is Music at...
0: It'd be Anna And I'm probably mispronouncing it too because I'm not from there, but I think it's called Music at Anna Hullion.
1: If you tell us a little bit more about the story before we I think that
0: one of the things he's managed to do throughout his career is get the details of the locals so right, of dialogue, of weather, of the names for things, of, of what things looked like, that he's managed to make that significant and universal... So this could easily be set in rural Turkey, in rural Russia. You know, it's, it's, it, while it does seem Irish, nonetheless, in any place that's lonely, where, you know, people didn't marry, where they're living on a small holding, where they're suspicious of their neighbours, it could actually almost be set in the American South. He has managed to sort of lift what is very specifically set in the Irish border country out of the Irish border country, into being about somehow or other the human predicament.
1: Why did you choose this story in particular out of... I mean, you're right, it's a, it's a slimish collection.
0: Because I think um, that there's a moment... Look, the business of all of us wanting something and having hopes and the idea then in a story, which could be from Chekhov of some object or some thing seeming to represent everything that might improve things for you. And that then becoming strangely disappointing. And here, rather brutally so. Uh, moving towards, I think in a short story, I always love when there's a crucial moment, when there's a second where it makes you absolutely shiver. And there's something she says, Annie says, towards the end of the story, where you just feel, oh, ...took this to get her to say something so atrocious... ...so filled with despair... ...that it, it filled me with pleasure... ...that idea that you build to it. It's there as naturally in the story... ...this sentence that I think the story depends on... ...as the rest of the dialogue. And it's, it's very... It's, ...it's the hardest thing to do... ...is to get a character to say something... ...oddly philosophical in a, in a story... I I couldn't do it myself. I would try and I'd end up having to take it out because it didn't work and it's here and I think it works here.
1: The short story seems to be intrinsically sad and if that's true of the short story, it is never more true than of the Irish short story, which has to not just be sad but but heartbreaking. Um, where, Where does this desperation come from?
0: I like to think that it started in Russia and that it started with Turgenev and Chekhov. And it made its way to Ireland via France in some way or other. But it lent itself to Irish conditions. In other words, these are people um, in this story, Music and Anaholion, who are locked into their lives, who are living in a remote place. There's no exit for them. You know, agriculture itself is, is a form of imprisonment almost. The house is a sort of prison. And that's something you can get in Russian fiction. It's something you can also get in moments in Flaubert. You can get it in Maupassant. So it's so it's 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 there in the European tradition. That sort of idea that, that the job of the short story is to render disappointment and make it seem true, real, and almost natural. Column Toybean. And you can download all the short stories in this series at guardian.co.uk forward slash books.
1: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.